It's also just the undertone, really, of everything that we are about here at the downtown campus. But we're looking at John 14, 15, uh, this idea of, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, we talked about last week, what does it really look like to love Jesus, to be in communion with Jesus? Because a lot of us say with our mouths, but maybe not even believe in our hearts what it, it really means to love Jesus. But when you see this verse, when you read this verse, if you love me, you'll do my commandments. It really looks like, and it feels like to a lot of people in our culture, like, if you love me, prove it. If you love me, prove it. At least that's how we've interpreted or hijacked that verse or even the concept of Christianity in our hearts and our minds is this idea of we've got to prove to God that we love him. We basically got to prove to him that we're worth saving. And I know that's for a lot of us in our culture, that's how we think and we process our relationship with God. And I'm going to talk about in a little bit the dangers of that. And how actually that can destroy true faith, actually destroy what it really means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. But before we do that, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for this new year. I thank you for um, a time and a place where we can come and we can just sit and we can rest in your word. Where we can come and we can worship and we can, we can sing, we can praise. Lord, not as individuals, but as a body of believers, Lord. I, I was so convicted last night, Lord, when I was reading um, the scriptures, and you were talking about how you're the bride of the church, not just individuals, Jesus, how you've saved us, but you actually care and love the church, Lord. And I pray that in this moment, in this, this, this morning, that we can come as beloveds in this moment, as the church, to come and just to sit and listen to your word. Lord, I, I pray all these things in your name. Amen. I was thinking about, uh, you know, a funny story or something to be engaging, and I really couldn't think of anything until uh, James the other day, uh, yesterday, kind of made me, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but it's a really funny story, and I want to show you how spiritual I am as a parent, so uh, I wanted you guys to hear this story. So I was putting James in timeout, as all good parents do, I was putting James in timeout, and James refused to go to timeout. And his response to me putting him in timeout was, I can't go to timeout, I have to go to Nineveh. And I was just, I was so proud in that moment, even though he had just went to the bathroom on the floor and then drew with marker all over the wall. In that moment, I was very proud of him that he wanted to go to Nineveh to tell them about Jesus. And so it made me think, why do, why do we do what we do? Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we obey? Why do we listen to anything that anyone teaches us. Why do we do what God commands? Or why don't we do what God commands? And I was thinking about this, and for some of us, and even for me maybe growing up, you listen to that old adage that your, your parents give you, and it's the simplest thing, and it's the most frustrating thing for maybe millennials or, or just people in general. It's, Mom, why can't I go to my friend's house Dad, why can't I drive the car? Because I said so. And the because I said so is a dagger in a lot of us, at least in my heart, because it really has no substance or, or bearing. It's just this thing, because I said so. And I know they have some long explanation that they just don't feel like telling us or giving us. But the because I said so really just leads to a lot of questions and answers and unanswered. 
And a lot of us take that mentality and that mindset into our relationship with God. Why do we do what God tells us to do? Why do we follow the scriptures? Why do we not cheat and steal and do all these things? Maybe because we're moral, upright people or, or, or because God tells us not to. It's because he said so. And when we bring that mentality into our relationship with God, it really brings a lot of negative connotations. And it leads us to a place that I think is very dangerous and so there's three aspects of our relationship of God and our relationship with others that I really want to talk about this morning. So why do we do what God commands? And there's three reasons why we do that, or, or at least a few reasons in my opinion. And they're very simple, but I think the, the implications of them have severe consequences. One, and, and I think one of the first reasons why we do what God commands or why we do anything is out of fear. We do things because of fear. This is how dictators and kings and people have ruled the world for thousands of years. Iron fist from Stalin to Hitler to Caesar, all these mighty rulers have ruled people and groups of people out of fear. They put this, this, this idea in their heads that they cannot function in the way that they should or naturally should function because of fear. And this works in marriages. Unhealthy marriages work this way, where one is fearful of the other. Any relationship that has unhealthy balance, there's a lot of fear placed in that. There's other people that, that struggle with this, uh, the idea of fear, fear of abandonment, fear of uh, uh, being hurt. Fear, why, do you, why do you not jump off your roof when you're fixing it? Because you're afraid of not the, the falling down, it's the snapping of your leg. Like you're not afraid of, of, of falling, you're afraid of what's gonna happen when it doesn't, and it prevents you from doing something. So a lot of us follow God, and maybe we'll not admit it explicitly, but implicitly when we think and we process how our relationship is with God, we follow God out of fear. Fear of what God may or may not do to us. Fear of hell, fear of an afterlife, fear of this, this, the unknown. You see, fear is a powerful, a powerful motivator, but it's not an ultimate motivator. See, when it comes to God, if we follow him out of fear and we obey him just because we, we, we believe that we're going to gain some status, we really lose and manipulate grace. A lot of people, a lot of religions, a lot of just even denominations put a lot of fear on people. If you do this, God's not going to send you to hell. If you don't do this, he will. If you sin this way, or if you don't do this, or if you don't give, or if you don't go, or if you don't do this, there's fear attached to that. And if you're raised in a culture or a church or a place that believes that, and your, your motivation for following God is fear, then you're going to have a lot of questions in your life, and you're going to have a lot of questions about God. Am I good enough? Am I doing it right? Did I make it? Did, did, this is where that works-based righteousness comes in. And, and, and I'm talking about this infiltrates Christianity all the time. 
This is the thing that, that, that people are talking, and this is every single woman that approached Jesus with uh, the tears in their eyes, wiping their hair with perfume on Jesus' feet, just saying, hey, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm never going to be worthy enough. Because they've replaced the truth that comes in grace with fear. And if you do that, and if you treat God like Bruce Almighty does in the movie Bruce Almighty, Bruce is talking to, to Morgan Freeman, who is, who's God, and he says, God is just an angry kid with a magnifying glass, just waiting to see all the ants burn. And so the lens that you look at God, the lens that you look at this world, and the lens that you look at your own heart is through fear. And when you do that, that leaves you trading grace for hopelessness and fear. Another way or another or aspect, and I actually think this is the most dangerous out of all the things we're going to talk about today, I think this is the most dangerous view of God because it's the safest view of God. And that's viewing God and following God or, or people just out of pure respect. You know, backing up, I want to talk about the flip side of fear and the reason that people don't follow God. Because a lot of people follow God out of fear, but a lot of people don't follow God out of fear. Fear of what the world thinks, fear of the consequences, fear of what God might ask you to do. And so a lot of people choose because they don't want to live in hopelessness, they don't want to live in fear just to reject God altogether. And then like I said, the next and most dangerous aspect of following God is respect. Following God because, you know, he, he, he comes, he's a, he's a good moral teacher. You need, respect gives us a sense of assurance. Respect gives us this idea that, you know what, we want to emulate God. We want to do what God commands. This is what good moral people do. This is what culture has taught me to do. This, I was raised in the South, and you know what? We hold the door. We say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir. No, sir. We do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. We believe in Christ because of, you know, maybe some parents' faith or some grandparents' faith or, or just the way that the culture has surrounded us with kind of a Christian culture. And out of respect, you know, man, I respect that Jesus guy. He's a good teacher. He taught about love and peace and kindness and patience and all these things, and I love all those things. And out of respect, I follow him. And I respect God. I respect what he stands for. And, you know, it's all these things. And it, and it slowly creeps and changes into the I'm better than you mentality. I do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And when you don't do the right thing, then, hey, you're a horrible person. You deserve what you're getting. It's actually the foundation of Phariseeism. The foundation of becoming a Pharisee, the people that Jesus scolded and confronted the most throughout all of Scripture, is respect for God. The Pharisees respected God. They, their whole lives were surrounded 
day in, day out, a pure respect for God. Don't spit on the ground, because spitting on the ground will make mud, and mud makes bricks, and God told us not to work on Sunday. Don't wear this. Don't do that. If you don't do this, then you're not in our group. If you're not praying and fasting and anointing self with oil and, and shouting it from the rooftops, then you're not a Christian. And the people that respect God and trade that respect in for what truly matters become Pharisees. And Pharisees are the hardest in the world to convince that there's a problem because they respect God. They believe what He says is true. They talk about it. They, they, they're the ones that you, when you look at them, you're like, they get it. They're a believer, man. They never do anything wrong. I wish my marriage was like theirs. I wish my life was like theirs. I wish the relationship, I wish I could study as much as they do. I wish I could do all these things. And the people that we respect have a clean exterior. <laughs> but a lot of them are dead on the inside. You know, we see we try to live the good life to follow the rules. This view leads to people believing that they're their own way of salvation. Many people who follow God's commands out of respect struggle with the idea of repentance. They struggle with the idea that they can do anything wrong and it leads to hidden sin and it destroys them. So many times we read in the news or we see even in our church or different places these people that look so beautiful and clean on the outside. And you hear about a pastor in Florida that, that is sleeping with his secretary or a pastor in South Carolina of a church five times our size sleeping in his office drinking himself to, to sleep every night. And I'm not saying that these people are Pharisees. I'm saying the danger that comes when you just respect God is that you don't want to project to anyone else that you're struggling. And so this idea of repentance, this idea of turning back to God, the idea of following God and His commands comes because it's the right thing to do. Not because it's of who you're doing it for. It becomes an obligation and, and a duty. On the opposite side of the coin, people don't follow God out of respect. You don't ever talk about this or think about this. But on the flip side of the coin, just like the fearful people, the fearful people have hopelessness. The, the, the respectful people struggle with repentance. On the opposite side of fear, people are like, I don't want to believe in a God that would do something like that. The angry God. Out of respect, the people are like, you know what? I'm not going to follow God. Because these people are hypocrites. Or also just on a purely just rational level, I respect myself intellectually too much to believe in this mythical fairy tale that is God. Or I respect a certain demographic or orientation. And I love those people so much and I respect what their beliefs are that I'm not going to believe in this God because out of respect for who I am, my emotional intellect, I'm not going to be a part of that. That God thing. And so if, 
if we follow God's commands, if, we, if we're supposed to follow what God commands us, if we're starting 2017, if we're supposed to do these things, and if, we're not supposed to do it out of fear because it leaves us hopeless. And we're not supposed to do it out of respect, even though respect is a positive, has a positive connotation with it. Because that leaves us to, to just Pharisaism and, and, and it's hard for us to repent because we don't want to talk about our brokenness in front of anyone because then they'll see that we're actually dying on the inside. So then what does it mean? What does it mean to follow God's commands? Why do we follow God's commands? And it's actually, I mean, I kind of tricked you a little bit, but it's in the very sentence, John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll follow my commandments. If you love me, you'll follow my, not if you fear me, not if you respect me, not if you believe me, not if you, whatever the words you want to place in there, but if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what are we to do practically as believers in Christ to follow God's commandments, because it's hard. It's hard to follow what God commands. And if you do it out of fear, and you mess up, then it just leaves you devastated and destroyed. If you do it out of respect, and you fail, which we all do, then you lose respect for yourself. And you lose respect for your identity, because we all know when we're lying to ourselves. You see, love is the most powerful motivator. That's why people step into harm's way. That's why you would, any one of you would, would dive in front of harm for, for your child or your parents or, or any of these things. Love is a motivator that makes people do crazy, radical things. But even that type of love, even though it is sacrificial, even though it is genuine, even that type of love is fleeting. It doesn't stand forever. You see, we need to understand the God of love. And the simplest way to explain it is that it comes through Jesus. If God didn't love us, because how do we love him? If you love me, you'll do my commands. Well, how do we love you? Well, I think to love God, we need to understand his character. That he's not an angry God that makes us fearful or that he's not a God that puts a bunch of rules in, in place for us, but rather that he's a God of love that comes through Jesus Christ. And if God didn't love us, he wouldn't send Jesus to sacrificially die for us on the cross. A lot of people ask me all the time, you know, well, if God's so powerful and if God's so amazing, then why doesn't he stop all these tragedies and horrible things in this world? And I, I, I say, I don't know. I don't know, but I know if God didn't love us, he wouldn't send his son. But knowing that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die sacrificially for us, I know that at least he's coming from a place of love. And so... How do we practically stay in God's commands? Because if you love him, the desire to follow him is there. It doesn't mean that you always will. But the desire that comes through the Holy Spirit is there that you will follow him. 
that you want to follow him. You see, fear and respect, yeah, they motivate, but at the end of the day, the desire to follow him isn't there. The desire to do the commandments doesn't come from a place of true heart change. And I think one of the simplest ways to do this, and it sounds so trivial, but if you, if you think it is trivial, then you don't get it. It's by preaching the gospel to yourself every single day. So what does it look like to preach the gospel to yourself every day? The truth is God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, to trade your sinfulness for his righteousness. That we were all separated from God and we continually are separated from God every time we sin. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, his blood covered all that sin, past, present, and future. One of the things in our culture and our church is we get so bogged down in sin, which we should to a degree. We should get bogged down in a place that leads to repentance, but not in a place that leads us to sit paralyzed. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, were you born yet? No. So all your sin was in the future. So when you sin as a believer in Christ, one of the things that Satan does and uses against you all the time is this thing that cripple you to give you shame. Now you should be convicted. The Holy Spirit convicts. Satan brings upon shame. And it paralyzes us from doing what God commands. How could I do what God commands me? I'm not perfect. I'm not righteous. No one's going to listen to me. Why should I go tell my friend about Jesus? Because of all the things that I have in my life. I'm a hypocrite. You are a hypocrite. But once you admit that you're a hypocrite, you're not a hypocrite anymore. Once you admit that you're a sinner saved by grace, then you're no longer a hypocrite. Yeah, hey, you're... I saw you the other day, you were at that bar and you got drunk. You're right, I did. But Jesus Christ redeemed that on the cross. You know what? That was a sin and I repented that and I apologize to you that that hurt my witness to you as a believer in Christ. But Jesus covered that with his blood. So let me tell you about that guy, Jesus. Hey, you were really mean to me in the office and you were, that was really backhanded what you did with that deal. You know what it was? I apologize. That's not how Christ made me to be. You're right, I've sinned against you. But Jesus Christ redeemed that sin on the cross. And you know what? I'm going to follow his commandments by telling you about him. Because you know right there when I did that backhanded deal, you know what? I didn't follow his commandments. I did what my own flesh wanted to do. And that's what I do most of the time. But because Jesus died on the cross, he gives me the desire in my heart to do this. And you know what? I need to preach the gospel to myself because you know why? So quickly and so often we forget every single day. You know how I know we forget every single day? Because I forget every single day. How many of you have sinned this week? Everyone can raise their hands. Why? Because you forgot the gospel. You forgot what Jesus Christ did on the cross because anytime we sin, we're choosing our way over his way. And his way is sacrificial death. Our way is my way, life. I want what I want when I want it. That's sin. And we choose us over God. And that's why we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. You see, Keller puts it this way. Tim Keller, he's a pastor in Manhattan. He says, you see, the gospel 
Understanding what it means to be a Christian isn't thinking less of yourself. That's, that's the fear mentality. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And when you think of yourself less, you start to think about God more. So why do we do what God commands? We do it because each and every day we, we experience different things. This author, I, I'm starting to read, Milton Vincent. He says, there is simply no other way. There's no other way to compete with the forebodings of my conscience, the condemnings of my heart, and the lies of the world and the devil than to overwhelm such things with the daily rehearsing of the gospel. There is no other way to compete, compete with the forebodings of my mind, the condemning of my heart, my heart telling me I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough. Why, how dare you talk to that person about Christ? I know what you did last night. How dare you share your testimony when you really don't even believe? And the lies that the world comes at us, there's no other way to fight against that than to daily rehearse the truth of the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to replace his righteousness with your unrighteousness so that you could be perfect and reconnected to God. One of the things we don't understand, and it's hard to understand this side of heaven, but God looks at us and views us as perfect. When you become a believer in Christ, you are perfect. Doesn't mean you're not going to sin. Doesn't mean you're going to struggle. Doesn't mean any of those things. But the desire in your heart is to always and will always be to follow God's commandment. Because if you love him, you will do what he commands. There's two analogies I want to finish with. And one is this. There's, to help you understand this framework, there's, there's two people in church. There's two people in church sitting next to each other. And, and they both come every Sunday to downtown campus. <laughs> they both serve. This is made up people, by the way. So don't be like, that sounds like this person. They both serve in children's ministry. They've both been baptized. They both tithe every single week. And one of them's not a Christian. And what's the difference? It's when they serve and when they tithe, one is doing it because out of the love that comes for Christ. Because Christ has redeemed and restored their hearts. They serve in children's ministry. They're baptized. They, they, they give sacrificially. And then there's another person sitting there that does it begrudgingly. They do it because it's what we've commanded them to do, what the pastor says, what the church says, what they believe they have to do to gain God's favor. I've got to serve in children's ministry. That's why I burn myself out. I've got to do these things. I've got to give. Even though I really don't want to give this money, I'm going to give it anyway. Because that's what the command says. And one respects the idea of God and one has truly fallen in love with God. It seems like a nuanced difference, but I'm telling you it's the difference between somebody who believes in Jesus in their head and somebody who believes in Jesus in their heart. C.S. Lewis says the distance between hell is eight inches. It's the distance between someone's head and someone's heart. 
So how does it work preaching the gospel to yourself every day? And I'll explain it in this second analogy and we'll be done. If I came to your house, um, any one of you, I just came to your house and I said, hey, you know what? The church has heard of your plight. We've heard of, of what's going on and I, I've decided as your pastor to come and I'm going to pay your phone bill. I, I think it's $100 and I just want you to know, thank you, like we're here to help you. I'm going to pay your phone bill. Here's your $100, pay your phone bill. You continue on, you're you know, thankful, so appreciative. Thank you so much for the $100, pay my phone bill. I call you the next week and I say, hey, you know, um, remember when we paid your phone bill? Uh, I need you to come and I need you to rebuild the church. It's going to take a couple months, but, you know, that thing I did for you, I, I want you to now kind of repay that. Can you come and you, you pay, you know, rebuild the church? It's going to cost millions of dollars and I appreciate you. On the other hand, you're like, absolutely not, I'd never do that. On the other hand, uh, you, your kidney is failing. Uh, you owe $10,000 in back taxes. Uh, the IRS is coming to pick you up today. Um, and there's just no hope. And I come and I say, hey, you know what? You can have one of my kidneys. We'll take care of your taxes. We're going to give you life, all these different things. And if I said come and build the church, you'd, maybe you couldn't, but you, you'd be willing to. <laughs> and the, the, the analogy seems silly and trite, but the, the, the actual reality of that is that's how we view God. Did God pay your phone bill? Or did he give you life? And understanding it's cyclical. The more I fall in love with Jesus, the more that I realize how much of a sinner that I am. And by realizing how much more of a sinner I am, that's how much more I fall in love with Jesus. Because yes, when I became a believer, it was a phone bill exchange. But as I've grown and grown in depth of mercy, I start to see that Jesus didn't just pay my phone bill that he's given me life, and as I grow, and as I repent, and as I introspectively look at my heart, and where I've sinned, and where I've sinned against you, where I've sinned against my wife, and my children, and my family, I start to see the glory that comes, and if you love me, you will follow my commandments. Yes, Lord, I will. Why am I a pastor? Why do I come every week to preach on this stage? It's because I understand how deep of a sinner I am. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will follow my commandments, which the command is go and make disciples of all nations. That's what I feel called to do. Because I love him. I could do something else. Probably wouldn't be as hard. <laughs> A lot of you could do other things. A lot of people on stage could do other things. On, even on Sunday morning, they could do other things. But why do we do what we do? And if you're a believer in Christ, my argument is this. You should do what you do out of the desire to love him. And I say that because we're going to fail and we're going to make mistakes. But the God of mercy knows that. That's why he redeemed Peter after he denied him three times. You see, if you love him, you will do his commands. If you love him, you will serve. If you love him, you will sacrifice. If you love him, you will be who Christ called you to be. 
So the last question I have for you is, if you're a believer in Christ, are you living in a, a, a paradigm, in a practice where God just paid your phone bill? And you're grateful. Yeah, Jesus, hey, I'm grateful for you. But that's the extent that it goes. Or are you going to honestly sit there and really process and think and pray, God, show me. Show me that my life is not just a phone bill. That you didn't just pay a phone bill, you paid my life. And as you sin and as you struggle and as you start to see sin pulled out of your life, that it doesn't lead you to a place of fear or a place of, oh, i got to hide this. But rather it leads you to a place where you can bend on your knees and you can glorify God and say, hey, here I am, Lord. Use me. I am a broken vessel. I'm not equipped to do what you've called me to do, but I love you. Fear leads to hopelessness. Respect leads to death. Love leads to repentance. Love leads to hope. And if you love Him, you will follow His commandments. Let's pray.